0: I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This is Making a Difference, a podcast about people who are making change happen. On the show, you'll hear from people who are making a difference on a day-to-day basis, from the local level in their communities to change on a global scale. You'll learn what makes them tick and the values that are driving their actions. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Two people went for a walk, except it was more like a pilgrimage. Cece Edwards Jensen and Mike Jensen walked to the Camino Via de la Plata in Spain. We talk about the why and how of that 1100 kilometre, 55 day journey. Over that journey, we find a different sort of guide dog and a new view on life and work. I was asked a couple of days ago who's going to be on my next podcast, and I said, Well, I've met this couple who went for a walk. Cece Edwards-Jensen and Mike Jensen, welcome. You did go for a walk. Can you describe it in some more detail?
1: <laughs> uh, well, it was a fairly long walk. I always say it's across Spain, but it was from the bottom of Spain up to near the top of Spain.
2: We decided on the Via Della Plata as opposed to the way the France says that many pilgrims walk every year. The reason we decided on the Via Della Plata was because I was working at St John of God at the time in Melbourne. St John of God had worked in Granada in his ministry back in the 16th century. And that's where we wanted to start our Camino and then join up with the Via Della Plata, so that was in the south whereas the Franceses is in the north. Yes. That's an interesting
0: piece of background so say because I think a lot of people that haven't delved in just think of the El Camino as a walk, and I should actually note at this mm-hmm. stage that one of the other reasons we should talk is that you've written a fabulous little book called Happiness Is That Way, which we'll come back to, and in the front of yes. that book there's a terrific little map with multiple Caminos that people can walk. So the Ver de la yes. Plata being, is that notoriously one of the more difficult ones?
2: Yes, you could say that I'm <laughs> 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 um, from experience. But yes, most people believe that there's one Camino in Spain. Well, a lot of people do, and that's the Frances. And that is a long one, it's about 840k. So it's um, not for faint hearted. But the Via de la Plata goes from south to north, whereas the Frances goes from east to west across the top. And all, all caminos leading into Santiago de Compostela on the west coast. The Via de la Plata was um, 1006k, and we walked from Seville up to Santiago uh, with our packs over 55 days. It's a little bit longer than what people normally do, but that was including time for injury and the experience of being a novice pilgrim. <laughs> oh
0: So, what are the differences, um, CC? The Via Francaise seems very picturesque, a bit of a walk up over the Pyrenees and Mm. presumably a bit busier. How would you describe the Via della Plata compared with the one that's more frequently travelled?
2: It is a harsher climate. It's further south, so it tends to get a lot more heat. It's flatter to start with, whereas the Francaise has the Pyrenees to start with. It is more isolated. And what I mean by that is the Francaise has more towns along the way and uh, so people get to rest and have more to eat along the way, have time to catch up with other pilgrims more, whereas the Della Plata you have to walk from one town to the next and there's nothing in between and that will take the day. So that might be, say, for instance, a 28 k day, but there's nothing in between. So we need a little bit more food and water and all that sort of thing to be able to cope with the longer distances. So they were anywhere between, say, 18 k's to 38 k's, depending on where you were on the route. Yeah,
0: And in that rather excellent book, Cece and Mike, you describe like the effort that's required and the planning required to get from town to town and not knowing if there would be a pharmacy or a doctor or you know, the Mm. quality of accommodation at the next town that might be half a day or a day away.
2: That's right, especially if you didn't meet a lot of other pilgrims that could give you information as well. Look, to be fair, you could Google, you could be on media all the time trying to find out where things are. But the idea was that, well, for me especially, I didn't take a phone, I didn't want to be doing that. I wanted to do it what I would perceive as the most authentic way to walk the pilgrimage, for me, it's not for everyone and everyone does it their own way, which we learnt was so varied. For me at the time, we would walk and say, allow it to be and just work with what we had when we got there. And most of the time that worked out.
0: I want to come back to that notion of your Camino because you talk about that quite a bit in the book. But Mike, why did you do the walk?
2: Oh,
1: well, because um, my wife came home one day and announced that she'd she'd had this epiphany while she was on this retreat, that she wanted to walk this Camino that I never heard of. Look, I think, Steve, at the time, I was working as a consultant. I still do. It was hard work. I enjoyed the work mostly, although I'd had some vague disquiet about the work at the time. But when she came home and talked about this pilgrimage, I thought, beauty. I get to take a break. And I had this romantic idea about, you know, what, what it would be like walking through Spain and uh, arriving at gorgeous little villages and awaiting, you know, great little tapas and some, some wine. That was this romantic idea I had at the time. It was really like, wow, I get to take a break from, from regular life and just spend, you know, two months with my wife and uh, my thoughts. Little did I know. <laughs>
0: And I touched before on, on the book that you've written, Happiness Is That Way, available at happiness, www.happinessisthatway.shop. And I want to spend a bit of time on the book because one of the things that really struck me, Mike and Cece, was that you each give your own version of the same events. And it's a lovely read seeing the different perspectives of things that happen. Cece, what was it like writing a book with your partner?
2: That made me think of uh, something I wrote in the book where a woman had put on the Camino Forum, how do I get through this? We're at each other's throats. What do I do? Do I leave him here or do I... (laughs) 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 Or do we try and work it out or do we go home? And And I thought, well, maybe that could happen to us too. But in actual fact, working with the book, it crossed my mind too because how is that going to work with two different voices, with two different, very different styles? I think in the end it brought us even closer together and got to know each other even more, you know, that period of time. And it took us about three years all up to get through the work.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we we took advantage of the lockdown last year just, just to sort of double down and, and get through the book. It was really interesting, Steve, because... We did it for different reasons. We did the Camino for different motivations. We'd often have different recollections. But the amazing thing was that the more we talked about it, the more we could kind of debrief it and unpack what the whole experience was like, which was incredible. Mm. But sometimes I'd, I'd write something and I'd be pretty pleased with the section that I'd written and I'd present it to CC just for her uh, feedback. What do you think? And she'd look at it and she'd look puzzled and she'd say, I don't know where you're writing this from. This never happened. I don't don't recall (laughs) any of that. (laughs) So it was really interesting from the perspective of memory. But what was fascinating was that as we started to write, the whole experience kind of unraveled because initially we thought, you know, what what do we have to write about? Will we write something for more than 20 pages? Mm. But the memory of all the things that occurred, it was there. It was kind of locked away Mm. in our minds. We just had to kind of open the right doors. Mm. And even though I sometimes got the facts wrong, I reckon you got the facts wrong sometimes too. <laughs> but anyway, the, the emotions, it unlocked a lot of the emotions there
2: mm. and
1: that opened up further memories. And that's how the, the book just kept on going for us.
2: Quite apart from the fact that we didn't intend to write a book. You know, it wasn't until we were at our destination in Santiago that we realised that there wasn't a book that we could take home to friends and families to show where we'd been, you know, with some photographs and maps and different explanations of different areas just to hand out to people. There wasn't anything. Yeah. And so there was on for the Francaise and there was for the Portuguese way, which are more popular. Yeah. But nothing for the Via della Plata other than directional books or guidebooks. But I think, yeah. again,
1: your motivation was different from mine because when I started to write, I really just wanted to give something kind of like a legacy to the boys. I thought mm. I'd like you to see this to know not only what we did, but it kind of the book reveals about a lot about who we are as people and I thought maybe our boys don't know that about mm. us. And mm. I thought it would be a great conversation starter mm. for them to read the book. And 240
0: pages, and without being mawkish, a lot of emotion in the book. How do you describe the stages of the Camino for you?
2: The first one started actually finding a book that on a shelf at the silent retreat, being just totally consumed with the idea of this adventure, of this spiritual pilgrimage, and it was obviously something that I had needed as a challenge as well, not only physically but spiritually. And then the planning of it and then actually having it come to fruition and then on the way it was about whether we had an agenda or not, there was all these different things that came up for us that we wouldn't have thought would have happened for us and every day we thought, okay, that's that challenge. We've got that under our belt. And now, so we'll be easier from now on. But every time something else presented itself that we had to deal with. So it was the growth in that. And it was also the emotion that we had to deal with as well.
1: I think the interesting thing for me was that a really important stage for me was when we finished the Camino, because in, in for both of us, it's like it, it wasn't finished when we left Spain. No. It was so bloody hard. I mean, we both ended up in hospital during our Camino treks that when we actually left Spain, I was actually quite pleased to leave Spain. (laughs) But what Uh, have you done
0: since, Mike?
1: uh, (laughs) I know. it. You're right. It pulled us back. Yes. Because we felt, you know, even though we had very mixed experiences of that trek, we felt called to go back again Mm. and and do parts of it again, which was incredible Mm. because we didn't feel... There was a sense of closure Mm. until we'd done that. Mm. And then, of course, when we wrote the book, that's when we could finally say, right, the experience is complete.
2: Yes. And the the other reason we wrote the book, not only because of not finding books in Santiago, was we had so much in our head when we got home. We are just walking around on autopilot Because it was like you had all this stuff above your head like a big cloud and there was nowhere for it to land. So we had to do something with it because we had changed as people as well and we had to grab pieces of it and try and tease it through to be able to start dealing with some of the rawness from the experience. And then put it into some sort of coherent
1: format. For me too, a lot of it was just trying to make sense of that whole experience. Because I, I think I, I was telling you, Steve, how at the very start before I did the Camino, I met with my bookkeeper and she asked me, so why are you doing this? And I really didn't know. I didn't want to say, well, I'm just doing it to support my wife. <laughs> there was a part of me that was really drawn towards taking two months off. But also when I came back, I thought, well, why did mm-hmm. I do that? What was the, the point of that? And my bookkeeper said to me, so what did you get out of it? I kind of flippantly said, "Uh, yeah, the cabina did change my life. I don't like walking anymore. (laughs) And we both had a big laugh about that. And then I thought, God, is that true? You know, over time, the impact of of it started to unfold in our lives.
0: You're both people who work in caring professions. Tell us about the impact of acts of kindness and the depth of connection that you found along the way.
2: There were often mornings where we'd start out and get our cafe con leche at the closest cafe we could find to try and get us moving.
0: Cafe con leche, coffee with milk. Yep, yes, coffee with milk, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I read the book.
2: <laughs> See, uh, and then this be open to whatever else was going to happen that day. We, we never knew. It was just all so different every day. On one occasion, we'd just finished having a bit of breakfast and I asked where the bathrooms were. And uh, the barmaid asked one of the um, older chaps that was sitting there to guide me outside around the corner and show me where things were.
0: So, just a guy in the pub?
2: Just yeah. a guy in the pub. And obviously, yeah. he's a local. They're all, you know, very much, they sit on their stools and it's very much a community every morning and every evening. So, he led me around but wouldn't allow me to go in. And I was perplexed. And he went in and he grabbed a rag and a bucket and he started cleaning the toilet area for me and I was taken aback and then he'd finished that, came out and he put up his hand not to go in again and he grabbed another rag and he dried it all down and then I, I become emotional even speaking about this now these years later and he came out and we both nodded at each other. And I went in. I went back to the cafe and he was sitting there on a stool and his back was to me when I came in. And I just put my hand on his shoulder and he put his hand up onto my hand from his shoulder.
1: And I was very perplexed at this time watching this.
2: <laughs> and, and the And the bar lady looked at us both but she didn't say anything and the other people around the room. And we hauled our backpacks on, buckled up and said adios and went, and I got just down the road and I just burst into tears and Mike said, oh, tell me when you're ready. And I just said, you know, no matter if nothing else happens on this Camino, that was it for me. That was all I needed was this coming together, this soulful interaction and this heartfelt connection to someone, he didn't have my language, I didn't have his, all well, had a bit, but, you know, not conversational Spanish.
1: Yeah.
2: Those things happened quite a lot along the way. Sort of acts and, of service, they say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. absolutely
1: so beautiful. It's like the way I made sense of it, Steve, there was so little contact with human beings in the first part of it. Mm. I mean, we, we looked forward to meeting, greeting farm animals and sheepdogs, that all those little acts of kindness just became so magnified. To feel like an outsider, is, it's a really weird experience day in and day out.
0: Mike, what about the, the nature or the quality of connections and friendships along the way?
1: This, the phenomenon we, that we experience is that when you do the Camino, it's like um, when you meet other people who are doing the Camino, you feel this incredible bond. We called it the Camino brotherhood and sisterhood. And the thing that just blew us away about that whole experience was that you could be so real, you, you could be so yourself, you could be so honest with people. People weren't interested in what you did or uh, your career, where, you came like, from. where you came from or anything like that. Mm. And so you find that other people you meet on the Camino just connected with you so deeply. Mm. And we still just feel this incredible connection to what I call the brotherhood and sisterhood with people we've met in Sweden and Canada and England and Germany. But those acts of kindness remain with you so i remember when we're in the extra majora region during the wine growing season and it was a really really hot day and there was a convoy of trucks and tractors with big containers of grapes that one guy just slowed down and he was talking to us in spanish really fast just just gesturing you know come and grab some grapes and so i hauled myself up to the trailer and picked a few and he took it from me and washed it with his water bottle and he chatted and smiled I just remember that interaction and those gestures were mm. just amazing.
2: Because it was a very lonely space at that time. We'd been walking for so long and the heat was unbearable, mm. very unseasonable. We, a, we were expecting about 23 to 25 degrees and it was 35 every day with no shade in sight for about 10 days. And so it was just quite gruelling to be out there and to, to be given these beautiful fresh grapes in the middle of the day, there like that was just like manna from heaven. Yeah, you know, it was just amazing. Actually, I yeah. couldn't even
1: eat the grapes for some reason, but still, that that gesture from the guy was just marvellous. Mm,
2: yeah, it was great, and those connections, even with those those little short connections, are wonderful. And then the much longer ones with uh, the other people that we've met, like Lee and Dan and Ever and Jern from Sweden. Forever lifetime friendships, and we're in contact all the time, and others as well.
0: Yeah, and it came through in the book the joy of catching up with these people along oh, the way, even yeah. though you'd only known them for a day or two. Uh, yes. It was extraordinary.
2: Yeah, yeah. and a lot yeah. of it is, that is an emotion that is it's nonverbal. It's just you're able to relate and and have a hug and have a smile and just to have that connection that we're all in this together.
0: Being back from the Camino, what's changed for you?
1: I think, Steve, the change that's occurred in my life has kind of just unfolded over the months and even the the two years that followed that. You know, I talked about the kindness and it made me realise what it's like to be an outsider. And I remember coming back and I was rushing to catch a train and there was a couple of English tourists who I could see were a bit confused because they were trying to buy their Mikey card I couldn't help myself, I had to stop. And I had to show them because I know what it's like when you're an outsider, and you can't do those things. And how those little acts and gestures of support are just really incredible. And we're not having a conversation about what part of England they're from. And it didn't matter that I'd missed a meeting. I just felt I've got to do that. But as as one of the early pilgrims said to us, his name was Dan from Canada. He said, Mike, you know, when you do the Camino, you get all this time to sort of explore all the nooks and crannies of your mind it turned out to be quite scary but also you start to think about your choices and I think coming back I realized that when I worked as a consultant it's this insight that I had on the Camino because the Caminos I've heard the Camino described as a little life so the way you walk the Camino can be the way you live your life and I remember waking up my morning on the Camino after some really, really hard days, and wondering, well, why am I doing this? And I thought, geez, the only reason I can think of why I'm doing this is just to get through it, just to get through the hard days. And I thought, it's kind of like how I'd approached my life and my work. And it's funny, Steve, because I remember the year before the Camino, coming into contact with so many clients, they'd say the same thing, they'd say, oh, you know, I've just got to get through this really tough week. I've got to get through this really (laughs) tough six months or year before I can kind of relax and enjoy it. And there I was on the Camino realising, wow, I'm not really being present to this, to the daily stuff. I mean, Cece would say to me, wow, look at these gorgeous flowers on the track, these beautiful blue flowers. And I'd say, what flowers? And she'd say, "Well, well, the ones you're just walking over right now. So I came back and I thought, I don't think I can do that anymore. I don't think I can just go through my work with that idea of I've just, I want to get through this. I want to actually do something I feel more engaged with, more meaningful about. And so since then I've shifted the work that I do because I think I mentioned that, okay, I was doing a lot of investigation work and looking at workplace cultures and organisations and I'd always had a little bit of a concern or a discomfort about that in terms of the value and the meaning it provided. So I thought it's time to shift that. It's time to shift to do work that I think is more in line with what I really want to do.
2: With your beliefs and values. Yeah. Mm.
1: So now I think I mentioned to you that I'm more involved and more interested in working with mental health in workplaces. So that's been a shift of what I want to do. Mm. In In the way that the book
0: provides your two different perspectives on these things, they say, what's changed for you?
2: At the time working in pastoral care, I was conscious of the fact that people every day were opening up to me and sharing very vulnerable parts of who they were and giving me a lot of trust. And along the way, I I kept feeling that I needed to listen to a lot of things that were going on in my head in those quiet times as we walked. And... The Camino was asking me too to own up to my own vulnerability in life and to expose a lot, you know, the brokenness within me as well, as we came across a lot of broken down villages and poverty within Spain. You know, the GFC had really crushed them. And how they they do it so hard out in the rural areas which reminded me of the refugees that come to Australia and how they struggle with the language, they struggle with the culture, they can't have their needs met, don't have the, the, you know, access to a lot of the foods when they arrive that they normally have in their own countries. And I wanted to be more conscious of that when I came home, of the needs of others, you know marginalized people in our own country.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think that was one of the c- key elements for me ones, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other impact it's had on
1: me I think is that as as I said, CC did it for spiritual reasons. I didn't have that motivation in doing the Camino. And yet during the Camino there are lots of times when I started to think that wow, you know I felt like that we were being looked after or being watched over and it happened on lots and lots of occasions. And there was this really funny, funny moment I remember was we arrived in a town, we were really hot and sore. It was siesta, so everything was shut. And we had to find our way to the albergue. And the albergues is where you basically, you know, stay for the night. And we had no idea, no internet reception, nothing. So we're sitting there wondering what to do with our packs on the ground. And this dog comes up to us and it's this, I think it's a Springer Spaniel, it's a really cute dog. And she pees on my backpack. (laughs) And we're looking at this and think, okay. Then the dog wanders off and it just looks at us. And then we think, I don't know what to think, but Cece says, maybe we should follow it. And, of course, we pick up our backpacks after I've sponged it down a little bit. We follow the dog and the dog takes us to the Albigate. I mean, (laughs) how weird is that? (laughs) It was unreal. You were being watched over. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's something that I, that's, the memories of that like stay with me even now. You
2: know? And there were more serious, you know, dangerous spots too, you know, of being yeah. stuck on a highway with no shoulder and thinking, I really, really hope there's not a truck coming around because it was pouring, raining and it was freezing as well yeah. when we got up north. Lo and behold, Here comes the truck. Can I I tell the story? And I don't know if you call it intuition, but we were walking
1: up this highway in the rain. It It was really hard going. Truck drivers are generally really good in Spain. They give you this really wide berth and they kind of acknowledge you with a wave. And there was a whole convoy coming down in the rain and we felt pretty safe. But in the distance, there was this truck that was coming down. For some reason, I don't know why, I just had a sense there was something odd about the driver of this truck but it was still a long way off. It was just a feeling. And I said to Cece, come on, let's, let's move up a bit. There's no shoulder here. If we can get up further 500 metres, mm. there's a little bit of a break there and we can get in. So we felt this urgency to do that. And wouldn't you know it, just as we get there, this particular truck that I thought was a little weird, for some reason it swerved into us. Mm. But we'd actually got into that little break in the shoulder so we could actually take shelter. And that, again, I thought, where does that thought come from? You know, it's like, I don't know, I was kind of, we were both kind of in tune with something there that kind of mm. gave us, a, a, I don't know, a sixth sense or some insight into things.
2: There was a word we used for that. It, when things like this happened in the end, because it happened quite a bit, we would look at each other and go, well, lucky.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always said you, we were lucky, weren't we? And Cece's thinking, no, <laughs> we were, we're actually being lucky. looked over, looked after. <laughs> yeah.
0: You'd sort of attune to the ebb and flow. Uh, Mike and Cece, thank you for sharing that with us. Once again, congratulations on the book, Happiness Is That Way, www.happinessisthatway.shop. And the book can also be purchased at Morris Concourse Books in beautiful Morris, and also at Readings Books in Ackland Street, St Kilda. Mike and Cece, great to chat. Thanks for that.
1: Steve, great to talk to you as well. Thanks
2: thank you, life. Steve. Thank you
0: thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Civic Mind, specialists in governance and ethics for local and state government agencies. To find out more, head to the website civicmind.com.au. And so you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to Making a Difference in your favourite podcast app. And if you like the episode, please leave me a five-star review. It really helps other people to find the show. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'll speak to you next time.